0: Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be the key of knowledge. Let's begin today in Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, beginning in the forty-fourth verse, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. Then answered one of the lawyers, and said unto him, Master, thus saying that reproachest us also. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens, grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchres. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel under the blood of Zechariah, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye enter not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. And as he said these things unto them, The scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. Verse 52 tells us, Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye enter not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. This is an interesting verse, and it's not just important for understanding what was going on with the Pharisees at that time. It's even more important for interpreting what we find going on in the church today. Not much has changed. It's really the same thing. The key of knowledge is being kept back from the people. But what is this key? And why is it so special? What is it about this particular key? What is it about this particular knowledge that the lawyers were trying so desperately to keep people away from? This was no ordinary type of knowledge. This wasn't just intellectual facts and information. This wasn't just book learning or learning gained through vicarious means. This was a totally different type of knowledge. The word knowledge in the Greek means to experientially know. Functional working knowledge, gleaned from first-hand personal experience, connecting theory to application. Application knowledge, gained in or by a direct relationship. This is talking about personal knowledge, the most intimate form of knowledge that there is, the knowledge gained through a connection between two people. This changes the way that we look at this verse. It's not just something being held back. It's someone being held back from people. And that someone is God. The thing that the religious elite and the legalists who have no personal relationship with God of their own fear above all else is the people knowing God for themselves. Because if people had that, it would expose them for the frauds that they really are. It would show that their supposed moral superiority is just a false facade. They don't want people to talk to God. That's one of the main reasons why they teach such a false idea of prayer to people. They teach people to pray in vain repetition, having them ramble off the same meaningless prayer over and over again instead of teaching them to have a heartfelt conversation with the Lord, talking to and hearing from Him. They don't want people to hear from God at all. And the way that they protect themselves from that danger is by leading people to think that hearing from God is only for ministers, only for theologians, or only for a select group of special people, which couldn't be further from the truth. We may think, are there really those who claim to be people of God, but would be this facetious, as to hold back what they know to be the truth from people? Sometimes it's hard to conceive of this really being true, but there are people like this, and there's a lot of them. Sometimes the fact that there are wolves amongst the sheep, is a reality that we don't want to face, but we have to face it in order to change it. Experiences taught us that throughout church history, this has happened time and time again. If we look back at the Protestant Reformation, which is the reason why we're listening to this program today, Martin Luther, John Huss, John Calvin, John Wycliffe, and many others were raised up by God to stand for the truth in an era when the truth was being suppressed, worse than it ever had been before. The Catholic masses in those days were only being said in Latin, so people couldn't even understand what was being said. The Bible was only in Latin or Greek or Hebrew, and no ordinary laypeople were able to read the word of God for themselves. Martin Luther learned the ancient languages and had to read out of an old Bible in the monastery library that was chained to the wall. But through their perseverance, they took back the key of knowledge from the lawyers and from the legalistic religious elite, whose only goal was to keep people out, not to bring them in. Their actions during that time were a prime example of Matthew 11 and 12, which says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffer of violence, and the violent take it by force. They forcefully took back the key. They weren't content to just bow down to the elite and their teaching. They questioned them and their authority, and that led them to God, the true authority, and they realized that they weren't being told the whole story we find a concerning trend developing today, which is that the Protestant churches are beginning to become the very thing that they hated in the Catholic Church. They've become legalistic. They've become reluctant to tell the whole story. And then they shepherd over confused, disillusioned, and disheartened people that think that they have the key of knowledge when they really don't. They're not protesting anymore. They just become part of that same system that they once rebelled against. They've become the lawyers now and we find them doing all the same things. They can say that salvation comes through faith and through grace alone, all they want, but their actions would have you to believe that your salvation only comes through your works. The people teaching that hide behind their supposed moral superiority, which is rooted in their legalism, and it becomes a cloak that they can use to cover over their own failures and frailties as they strive to maintain a holier-than-thou mindset never revealing their own faults, but quick to expose everyone else's. The head of the leaders keep this up, especially in a day and age when there's such easy access to the Word of God and such a great amount of teaching? What stops people from realizing that the key is being withheld? We find that the people withholding the key are doing the same thing that they were doing in the first century. The concordance goes on to say for the word knowledge that we were looking at earlier, Applied knowledge is only as accurate and reliable as the relationship it derives from. For example, the Gnostics boasted of their applied knowledge gained by their personal spiritual experiences, and it was disastrous. Gnosticism is literally the cult based on having special personal knowledge. This is the real danger here. You may think, if we're supposed to have a personal relationship with the Lord and have that intimate knowledge of Him, then what would separate us from the Gnostics? Wouldn't we be doing the same thing? But the difference lies in the word special. The Gnostics were saying that they had special revelations that the Lord only revealed to them and no one else, and that they were having spiritual experiences that only they could have, which is a dangerous thing, because it removes any type of checks and balances for others to check their accuracy. If something's only given to one person, who's to say he's wrong? How would anyone else know? But God doesn't work that way. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21 say. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. When God reveals things to someone, he doesn't just reveal it to only them. He confirms it through his word, through signs and wonders, and through giving the same message to others. Acts 17 and 11 says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily, wherever those things were so. Mark 16 and 20 says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. When God reveals something, he'll confirm it so that his people can be sure of its accuracy. God doesn't want us to just take people's revelations at face value. He wants us to be sure that we're really hearing from him, and not just from someone's own carnal mind. That's why John said in 1 John 4 and 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, wherever they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. There's lying spirits, deceiving spirits, misleading spirits, that the enemy sends amongst our own camp. And if we're not aware of that, we can fall for the same lies as the Gnostics fell for. And that's how we see cults and heresies gain traction they're almost invariably rooted in some type of special knowledge that either one man or one group has, to which no one else has the ability or chance to access or question. The key of knowledge is gained by knowing God, not just knowing about Him, knowing of Him, or knowing something that He did or said, but actually personally having a first-hand experience with Him. No other type of knowledge can ever suffice. We've been blessed that the key hasn't been held back from us, That God sent people into our life that showed us the key, told us how to use it, and shared with us God's word so that we can realize our need to know God. For many others who haven't known God in this way, they desperately need to get this key. We know the effects of it when they don't have it. Matthew 7 and 23 says, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The key phrase here is I never knew you. You can say all the right things outwardly. You can do all the right things outwardly, but the outward's not what matters. It's the inward that matters. The Pharisees checked all the boxes for the outward, but they were just whitened in sepulchres full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. A clean outside can be a good distraction from a filthy, polluted inside. The word new here in the Greek is referring to the same type of knowledge that we looked at before, firsthand, experiential knowledge. Let's go to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, beginning in the first verse, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some of her way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. But when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. As we just saw in verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. No door that was ever worth opening, no door that ever had anything valuable behind it, didn't have a key. Every door needs a key, and the key of knowledge is what opens the door. It's knowing God personally, that opens the door to a life and an eternity spent with him. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Many people hear the knocking. They feel deep down inside that they're missing something, especially if they have the outward form of religion in their life. They know that the door is there. They hear the faint and steady knocking deep in their heart of a loving God who desperately wants to be a part of their life, a God who desperately wants to help them and lead them as the good shepherd that he is. But they just don't know how to open the door, and the earthly shepherds whose job it is to tell them won't tell them. That leads to some people thinking that maybe there isn't even a key. Maybe that door isn't meant to be opened, or they think that they'll never find out how and think that something that they've done wrong is the issue. Luke 11 and 44 said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. This is one of the saddest parts of this whole problem. There are countless Christians who aren't even aware of the precarious position these leaders are putting them in. They're being led down a dangerous, dark path without even realizing it, while the religious elites tell them that everything's all right. We also find that not only do the legalistic leaders withhold the key from others, they don't even use it themselves, which is evident when you look beneath the surface. The second half of verse 52 in Luke chapter 11 said, Ye enter not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. Luke 11 and 39 says, And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. If the leaders haven't done what's necessary, they can't help those they've been given charge of. On airplanes, the first thing that they tell you is that if you needed an oxygen mask, you put your own on first, then you help another person put on theirs, no matter who they are. Because they understand that you can't help anyone else if you can't help yourself first. And that's what happens with the legalists. Maybe they can't, or maybe they just won't help themselves. But the end result is the same. The people under their authority don't get the help that they need, and they're left to fend for themselves. The elite have the outward appearance of a healthy spiritual life, but inside, there's nothing to back it up. They don't have God within them. They just know about God and God's law. That's nice. It's good. But it's not good enough. The inside is what really matters, and legalism can quickly become a spirit used by the enemy to fill that spiritual vacuum in their spirit, where God is supposed to be. We see in John chapter 10, the real issue at the heart of legalism. We saw that Jesus is the door, but we found in verse 1 that it said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some of way, the same is a thief and a robber. God desires for people to come in by the door, to come to him through faith alone, trusting in his grace to be sufficient. The legalists, however, don't do that. They instead do what this verse says, They climb up some other way, the other way being the wall of legalism that they have to scale by their own works and actions, setting up for themselves a standard that no one can live up to. Instead of resting in faith and trusting in God's grace for salvation, they try to earn their salvation through their works. But the same way that faith without works is dead, works on their own are dead also. Works alone won't lead to faith. If anything, they extinguish it and diminish it because they take all the emphasis off of God and put it on the self. The legalists and the people refusing to give the key are thieves and robbers. They're attempting to steal people's inheritance from God that rightfully belongs to them. They're trying to rob from us the infinite and eternal blessing, the greatest blessing in this life, of knowing our God for ourselves. No worse theft can ever be committed or even conceived of. Then, not just content to steal away the key to the door, they then try to force others to climb over the same wall also. It would have been bad enough if they had just done it themselves. But when they also force others to do the same, they compound the wrong, and it becomes that much worse. They want other people to have to live up to their own impossible standard, while they just wait for them to slip up so they can reprimand them. Luke 11 and 46 says, And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens, grievous to be borne, And ye yourselves, touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. They want you to have to work for it. They don't want God's free gift of salvation to be free. They want you to pay for it. The same way that the Catholic Church charged money for indulgences to get people out of purgatory and get them into heaven earlier in the natural, the legalists have done the same thing in the spiritual, forcing people to constantly live in fear and anxiety over their works and their performance while the shepherds hold the fear of them losing their salvation over their heads the whole time. But there's something even far more subtle happening too, which makes this even that much worse. The concordance says for the word for burden, in verse 46 in the Greek, that it means a burden which must be carried by the individual as something personal, and hence is not transferable. It cannot be shifted to someone else. This makes it very clear what's happening. This is the direct opposite of what the gospel teaches. They're inverting God's word. The whole point and foundation of the gospel message is that Christ came to take our sins upon himself, to free us from our bondage to sin. He came to take our burdens upon himself so that we could be free. There was a transfer that happened. It was a great exchange that happened on Calvary, where we laid down our righteousness, which were as filthy rags, and he gave us a robe of righteousness, washed in his blood that's as white as snow. The legalists want you to think that your sin isn't transferable, because that's how they keep control. Control is kept through fear, and fear of punishment, fear of retribution, or fear of loss will get people to do what you want them to do. If people see themselves as they're meant to be in Christ, as free through Christ's sacrifice on their behalf, the elite lose control, because you can teach free people, but you can't control them. By withholding the key, they keep people from making that transfer, they force people to latch to their filthy rags and trust in them to earn them salvation instead of just simply accepting God's free gift of the robe of righteousness. We weighed down our burdens. Like the prodigal son, we took the father's robe that he offered us even after all the wrong that we've done to him and we put it on and now we enjoy all the best of what he has to offer. But many around us haven't. Many of our friends, our co-workers, even our family members may still be trying to carry the burden themselves. It's sad to see people trying to do everything themselves when Christ is offering to take the burden away from them. But that's where we come in. It's our job to tell those around us that they don't have to be weighed down by their own inadequacy. They don't have to be in constant fear of losing their salvation. They don't have to feel crushed under the weight of the legalist oppressions. They can be totally and completely free in Christ, trusting him and not in man. Some people may not listen. Many will try to argue with you. And some, especially religious people, will refuse to even hear you out. But we need to keep telling the truth in love, being an ever-present reminder, especially during those times when the burden is hard to bear, when they're grievous to be born, that they don't have to be going through that. Although it may seem like things won't get any better in the natural, although it seems like the legalists are gaining an ever-increasing foothold in the church and leading astray more and more of God's people, it won't stay this way. Just like in the Protestant Reformation, God is going to raise up people to forcefully take back the key of knowledge, and those people are us. We find a great promise in John chapter 10 and verse 8. It said, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. The sheep, the people of God, didn't hear them. God has a way of getting a hold of his people, and no legalist, no religious elite, is going to stop them from entering in. We need to claim this promise in faith for those around us today, so that they can have the key to open the door to life. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the great exchange that took place on Calvary. We thank you that you took our place, that you paid for the sin that we committed, and that you gave us freedom in its place. Lord, we thank you that you've made a way for us to come before you and lay down the filthy rags of our righteousness on the altar, and that you will send your fire of the Holy Ghost to come down and burn it away and that you'll give us a robe of righteousness washed in your blood in its place. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that only you can usher into our life. We thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in you. And Lord, today we proclaim liberty for the captives around us, for all those trapped by the legalists, trapped by their oppressions, and the lies that they have been telling, and the deceptions that they have been fomenting amongst people. Lord, we thank you that the people around us are going to have their spiritual eyes and ears open to these deceptions, that they're going to see that the key is being withheld, and that they're going to have the strength and the wisdom to take back that key and to use it on the door of life, which is you. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to not only know about you, but to personally know you. Lord, we thank you that you came into our life, and that you take a real interest in our life and who we are as a person. That you want to be a part of every aspect of our life. And where we ask that you give us the wisdom to be able to do the same with you. That we can grow in our desire and our want to know you deeper and deeper. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done. Everything that you're going to do. And everything that you're doing right now. Lord, we know that you have an amazing and great plan for your people. That no legalist and no elite can ever stop. And where we thank you for all those people who are coming into the fold, who are going to experience that freedom today in their life, and where we ask a special blessing on all of those who have been freed today, and where we give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to have the key of knowledge and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal lord and savior you then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life now if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it then you are now a part of the family of god welcome to god's family we want to thank everybody for listening today we appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.